Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Jimmy. And we're the Talk to the Hand podcast. So, welcome. Hi, Jimmy. How are you? I'm very, very good, thanks, Beth. Really looking forward to today's episode. This is a person who was quite significant. I remember listening to this record a lot during the 90s. And it's one of those records where I can still tell you every word from that song. And I think most of the listeners will be able to replicate the song or at least the lyrics of the song. And then who are you going to talk about today? Dun dun sh, dun 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 sh. Yeah, so we're going to be covering Vanilla Ice on this episode. And there was so much I found out as I was doing the research. I knew some of the detail around it, but it was really interesting to put it all into context and learn the journey of how he went from this massive, massive star that was global at the time to becoming very much a figure of fun throughout the industry, mm-hmm. known as the phoniest rapper of all time. But there's a few stats in there that then you feel he had a little bit of a hard ride on it. He probably deserves a little bit more credit than, than the mocking that he mercilessly receives for that record. So we'll go through that story. We'll talk a little bit about Vanilla Ice, about some of the interesting things that happened through his life, some of the things that led him to become known as a, a phony rapper, an interesting exchange he had with Suge Knight, who was Tupac's manager, who's now residing in prison in America for running somebody over, and a number of other things that happened through his career. So his career is not just music. He's gone on to do a number of other things around music and outside of music. So we'll cover the life of Vanilla Ice, and we really hope you enjoy the story. But for now... Let's rewind to the 90s. Vanilla Ice was born as Robert Van Winkle in Dallas, Texas, October 31st, 1967. So, Beth, Robert Van Winkle. I was trying to be so controlled there. Van Winkle. Yes. So he never knew his father, and his surname was taken from the man who his mother was married to when he was born. At four years old, his mother and stepfather, Mr. Van Winkle Sr., divorced, and he spent those formative years that followed between Dallas and Miami, where his new stepfather worked. By the late 80s, Van Winkle, and I'm still calling him Van Winkle until we change his name to Vanilla Ice, right? I can understand actually why I wanted to change it now. Absolutely. So by the late 80s, Van Winkle was working at a car wash in Dallas. However, washing cars wasn't what got him up in the morning. He was obsessed with rap and with breakdancing, and he did show incredible talent. Every weekend evening, he made his way to a car park where he and a big crowd of others would practice and demonstrate their dancing abilities. And it was at this time he became known as Vanilla. And the reason was, he was one of the very few, sometimes the only white person in the crowd. So that's where he got the name Vanilla from. So there was a nightclub nearby called City Lights. And it was there during an open mic evening that Vanilla Ice was dared to go on stage. And he impressed the largely black audience and the manager enough that he was offered a regular slot at the club. And this was no small feat. The club attracted some really top acts, and the then-named Vanilla MC opened shows for the likes of NWA, Public Enemy, 2 Live Crew, Paula Abdul, and MC Hammer. So he soon changed his name to Vanilla Ice and was offered a contract by the owner of the club, who had identified the potential of this white performer who could dance and rap. The manager of the club got Vanilla Ice into the studio to record some tracks, and the song that would go on to be his debut single, Play That Funky Music, that was recorded then, the song sampled the hit by Wild Cherry. The B-side to that release was a song that Vanilla Ice had written as a 16-year-old, and that was called Dun Dun Sh Dun 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 Sh Ice Ice Baby. Now, the reaction to the release was muted. It didn't get a lot of traction. 
However, a DJ in Georgia played the B-side on the radio one day and suddenly there was a big demand for radio stations to play Ice Ice Baby. So originally, it was a B-side on the track to play that funky music. Do you mm. remember that song? Yes, yeah. Play that funky Keep music. What, boy? All right, then, judge. So a DJ in Georgia must have listened to the B-side, thought it was, it was a really strong song and started to play it. So once he played it, there was a demand for other radio stations to play it. And that's really how this Ice Ice Baby song became more popular throughout America. So that one, that one DJ... It's interesting because it's that small twist of fate. Mm. Without that, there never would have been a vanilla ice. And actually, mm. as I've gone to say, that was a big moment for rap in yes. terms of rap being in the charts. Mm. So without that DJ in Georgia having played that song, that would have never happened. But I believe in fate. That was meant to happen. Now, Beth, you will have heard the lyrics of the song over many years. Can you tell me what the song is about? See, I, why do you have to do this? You know, I don't even know the words to some of my favourite songs. <laughs> so, I'd be, as in, I can't remember the songs. If I get going, then it will be like, oh, um, Ice, Ice Baby. No. Am I supposed to? Do you want, will you give me a thing? No, you're just trying to mock me. <laughs> um, no. I didn't Go expect on. to. And a lot of rap music that you listen to, you don't quite know what they're saying anyway. <laughs> That is so true, but I'm not a rap person. I don't like it. Well, the song is largely about two things. One is a drive-by shooting. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And the other part of the song that intersperses the drive-by shooting is around how good a rapper Nilla Ice is. Okay. Didn't know that, did you? No. So this song that the DJ made really popular about a driveway. So, but so I, I would have been probably 11, 10, 11 years old when this came out. And I was listening to songs about drive-by shootings. Yeah, that's good. Interesting. So the song was orig- originally credited to a few different names, including Vanilla Ice himself. And there was another name on that list, Mario Chocolate Johnson. Now keep that name in mind because uh, you love it when I do this, but he will come up again later in the story. Okay. So Public Enemy, who Vanilla Ice had opened a show for at City Lights Nightclub, they tried to convince their producer to sign Vanilla Ice to Def Jam Records. And that may have changed the trajectory of how it was perceived in terms of that credibility further down the line. So Def Jam were a seriously credible rap label, but he didn't end up going on to sign for them. A contract with SBK Records was signed instead in 1990. The tracks that had been recorded in the studio were re-recorded and remixed into a new album called To The Extreme in 1990. Now, part of the deal was Vanilla Rice becoming more commercial, more pop, if you like. However, another change that occurred on this rehashing of the old track is that Mario Chocolate Johnson, the name I mentioned earlier, he was removed from the list of credits. Now, that does become important later on. As part of the album's promotion, Vanilla Ice supported MC Hammer on one of his tours, and that's really interesting because he'd opened for MC Hammer at the City Lights nightclub, and now he was going on and doing big arena tours and perhaps stadium tours with MC Hammer. But as the tour progressed, Vanilla Ice's album was becoming increasingly popular, and it has been said that there may have been some tension between the two artists because, of course, Vanilla Ice is secondary to MC Hammer in terms of supporting him. But at the time, his popularity was increasingly growing. And as I say, that that led to some tension between the two individuals. So by November of 1990, Ice Ice Baby was the number one song in the UK charts and the number one song in the US Billboard charts. Now, when I mentioned earlier that this was a, a huge moment for rap, 
that was the first time that a rap record had made it to number one in either of those listings. So that's a massive achievement for Vanilla Ice, and that's something that he probably doesn't get enough credit for, for, because you've always got to have someone. I mean, it's like when I was younger, I was two years older than my brother, so when I wanted to get my ear pierced, it was always no, 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 two years older. And then when I got to the age of getting my ear pierced, my brother came with me and got his done on the same day. So there's always one who has to take the hit of the the stick that you get for it, and Vanilla Ice was perhaps version of that. Do you remember um, watching the reruns of Top of the Pops? Vanilla Ice being on it with his ice ice baby. Yeah, the dance routines. But that was very contrary to rap. We have to be honest and say that there were more talented black artists around at the time, black rap artists around at the time, who never got the success that Vanilla Ice got. We'll touch on that again Mm -hmm. in a bit, but when you look at his record, he didn't look like, when you looked at the video and the performances on top of the pops and everything else, he didn't look like a typical rap artist at the time. One, he was white, and, and there weren't white rappers around at the time, but it was the manner of the, the performances, the dancing, and the clothes he was wearing. It was a much more pop focus, and that was something that was contrary to a lot of the rap community, and there was a lot of denigration of Vanilla Ice from the rap community. And to use the term that was used at the time, he was selling out. Yeah. However, during interviews, he talks about being part of street gangs and almost being stabbed to death in the fight. And he didn't want to state what his real name was, and not just because his real name was Van Winkle, <laughs> but because he said he was worried about the threat of gang attacks on his family if he did. And his record label, SBK, they released a bio of Vanilla Ice, which talked about him being a national motocross champion, him having a difficult childhood, talked about him having attended a rough high school in Miami. These all went under the radar at the time, but as ever, when you make your way up and you get there, people do want to bring you down. And when he started to become more successful, people started looking into some of the claims that had been made by him or on his behalf. And they found that not everything added up. So he didn't attend the school in Miami that they claimed. Instead, he went to the school in Texas. They identified Vanilla Ice as Robert Van Winkle and showed that although he had participated in motocross events, he'd never been a champion. The label, the manager and Vanilla Ice himself all denied that they were responsible for the nonsense that was on his bio. And the move that someone had taken to bolster Vanilla Ice's reputation across the globe had actually had the opposite effect and it became something that caused him to be mocked. This is really where that phony stuff started from. So he was claiming to have been from the hood, from the ghetto, getting involved in all of this kind of stabbings and stuff and going to a really rough school that had produced other rap artists and it turned out actually, no, he didn't go there. He went to a school, not just to a different school, but a school in an entirely different state. Yeah. So that was quite embarrassing for him at the time and it did have an impact. You said earlier about, you know, whether that was him or the management that had made that up. So I feel sorry for Vanilla Vice if he hadn't made it up, if the managers had done it too. To, to add to his story to make him more authentic. It wouldn't surprise me if the management made it up and also encouraged him to make it up and he went along with it. Mm. He was a young guy at the time and I mm. guess he was doing as he was told to do, but it's something that really ended up backfiring yeah. on him because mm. he really rocked his credibility yeah. hugely. If they've lied about this, what else have they lied about and the integrity thing? Yeah, and these days you've got different types of artists that don't have to have come from that rougher background to become a, a, mm. a, a successful rap artist. I mean, look at someone like, like Drake, for example, who's not from that, that background at all. But back then, coming from that beginning was part of the credibility that built your prestige as a rap artist. And he was claiming to have come from that. And then it turned out, actually, he didn't. So 
as I say, it did have a, a big impact on the reputation of Vanilla Ice at the time. So records were still being sold and he managed to use the stage after winning at the American Musical Awards to send a rebuff to his critics when he advised those who'd been talking bad about him to kiss his white butt. Kiss my butt. <laughs> so he performed that night and as was always the case, he danced with an exhausting looking routine and managed to rap at the same time. He never lip-synced like so, what so many other performers do. So despite some of the lies that came out previously, there was an element of authenticity to his performance. So he did all that dancing and jumping around with, and while singing. Yeah, yes. so he didn't lip-sync. So if you think of the, the performers at the time that were more traditional mm. pop, when they had a dance routine, mm. they typically lip-sync. They'd mime mm. along to the song. Vanilla Ice had this fast-paced rap that he used to do whilst doing the, the dance routine. It's interesting calling them a dance routine because you never really get dance routines per se in rap, but that's what they were. They were dance routines, pop dance routines. But he used to do that whilst rapping. The hip-hop community were not fans of Vanilla Ice. They were, to be very clear about it, much more talented rappers. And as I said earlier, that they had the credibility, they had the talent, that Vanilla Ice had lied to get the opportunity and they never got the chance that he got. But the face of a good-looking white boy did bring him opportunities that were not afforded to the predominantly black community and, and that was a source of anger for them. Vanilla Ice didn't create that scenario, he was simply put in place to take advantage of it or certainly have other people take advantage of it. However, he became a figurehead for the injustice that surrounded the music industry at the time. He was given that push that his peers didn't get, his more talented peers didn't get. So you can understand the resentment from them. Absolutely, you can. And, you know, there's been similar resentment to Eminem when he broke through. Right, yes. But Eminem had talent, longevity in a greater sense than Vanilla Rice has it. So he was able to kind of compete with that over a long period of years, whereas Vanilla Ice didn't actually have that. It wasn't just about race. His songs were sledgehammered into a commercial pop sound, and that disgusted much of the rap community. They had the same issue with MC Hammer, though, so it wasn't just about race. MC Hammer had that... Get touches, all of that. It wasn't your, your traditional rap sound. Um, and he used to jump around a lot as well. He did jump around, and he had the very trademark, distinctive dress code that he would, he would follow. And both of them were straying quite far from the roots of the genre. So it was causing some controversy, uh, particularly among those with the more traditional, deep-seated rap views. And there were also rumours of some label manipulation to boost Vanilla Ice's album sales. So his claim that when Ice Ice Baby topped the charts, the availability of the single became suspiciously limited. So anyone who wanted to get their hands on a copy of that song, they'd be forced to buy the album rather than the single that they actually wanted. That's cheeky in record labels, isn't it? It is. It is. So the single was very successful, but forcing people to go and buy the album, it made the album a success. Mm -hmm. And of course, you're making more money from the album. So that was quite a a suspicious act by that alleged that the record company Mm -hmm. performed. Now, Beth, you might not have known what the song was about, but you will know the song that he sampled on the track. Yes. Yes, Under Pressure by David Bowie. Yes, it was David Bowie and Queen, exactly. So he did not have permission to use it, but it really wasn't as clear cut as it is today when you were sampling songs back then. Quite often songs were sampled without issue, but in this case, I guess the song was too popular for it to be let go. So Hollywood Records owned Queen's catalogue and they sued and won an out-of-court settlement for the use of the music in the track. Do you remember we talked earlier about Mario Chocolate Johnson? Mm. Well, by now he teamed up with Marion Shug Knight. He was the, the guy that's in prison now for running someone over. He was Tupac's manager at the time. He formed Death Row Records with the likes of Snoop and Dr. Dre. 
Knight played college football and briefly in the NFL for the Los Angeles Rams for a couple of games. But he began his career in the music industry working as a bodyguard and a concert promoter. And he had what we'll call a, a bit of a reputation. Mm-hmm. He, there was some gang-related activity yeah. that was involved at the time. Now, Suge Knight began hounding Vanilla Ice over the money he felt was owed to Mario Chocolate Johnson. There were various stories of him turning up mob-handed in an intimidating fashion to wherever Vanilla Ice happened to be. In an early retelling of events, Vanilla Ice said that Suge's group forced their way into a hotel room roughing up uh, Vanilla Ice's security before taking him out to the balcony of the 15th floor room and indicating that it would be a long fall down if someone was to be thrown off the balcony from that height. And as bad as that sounds, it was more gentle than another story that came out at the time, which was that he hung Vanilla Ice off the balcony by his ankles. All that mattered in the end, though, was that fortune made from Ice Ice Baby found its way to Shug Knight. And incidentally, he used that money to start Death Row Records. And that is a story that does feel worthy of covering in a future episode. So Mm -hmm. Vanilla Ice, Mm -hmm. this figure of mockery from the rap community, it was his record that went went on to start Death Row Records, which released the majority of Tupac's work. Yeah. Was he entitled to the money? See, I don't either. Mario Chocolate Johnson was technically entitled to the money because he was on the original credits, then he was taken off, and then the song got successful. But if he was on the original credits, he'd obviously had something to do with it. So why didn't Mario Chocolate Johnson go after the money? Why did Suge Knight get involved? Suge Knight was always able to smell a a dollar bill, and with his reputation, he probably drove the conversation. He probably heard it off Mario Chocolate Johnson and thought, this is a way of making a load of money for himself. How much of that money went to Johnson himself? Uh, that was my next question Jimmy you know what I'm like and the injustice of it because what I don't like is if death row okay yeah they got money to then build the record label but that's not fair if it was the money that Mario Chocolate Johnson should have Mm, and ultimately Mm -hmm. I don't know the background of that but somehow should not have got himself involved now even when you look back at Tupac's time with death row records Tupac was originally signed to, to death row while he was in prison and the payment was his bail payment. And then when Tupac was out, he never actually received a wage from death row records while he was releasing those, those albums. It was a five album deal and he was never short of money, but it was always Suge Knight would give him money when he needed it rather than this is your money. So Suge Knight very, very controlling in this. Some horrendous stories of the carry-on that was going on during the time of Death Row Records at that time. And it was partly that, that Dr. Dre ended up leaving the, the record label and going off. I think that would be a good episode, you know. Fantastic episode to do with, with mm-hmm. the recent developments in the story of Tupac's manager. Yes, yeah. It's probably something we'll cover in, in, mm-hmm. at a future time. But yeah, Shug Knight was definitely a character that was not to be messed with. Mm-hmm. And you say he's in prison now? Yeah, he, he was convicted of trying to run someone over or perhaps running someone over. He's not a nice guy. <laughs> no, really he, not he, my fan. He was actually sitting next to Tupac in the car the night Tupac was shot no, there. Meanwhile, Vanilla Rice was still enjoying life. He had an eight-month fling with Madonna and was raking in money from sponsorship deals. He had a headline tour, he had a book, he had a weird song on the Ninja Turtles sequel movie. <laughs> Like yeah, and there's a video where he's featured in with the, the yeah, turtles. The turtles. Uh, Go on, name the turtles. Leonardo, Donatello, Raphael, and Michelangelo. Michelangelo, well done. But Vanilla Rice, you're a rapper whose credibility is suffering a little bit because you've lied about the street violence that you grew up in among. So the rap community are thinking that this guy's a bit of a sellout, he's a phony. And then what Vanilla Rice does is release a song. 
with the Ninja Turtles. Good move. Bizarre. So you might have thought that that was as bad as it could get for Vanilla Ice, but it wasn't. There was a truly awful movie called Cool as Ice. Now, it starred Vanilla Ice and Naomi Campbell. Now, if I was to tell you that the IMDb rating of this movie is an incredible 2.9. No. I mean, that might be the lowest rating I've ever seen on the platform. Have you watched it? No. not. I, I remember seeing it years and years okay. ago, but I don't remember anything about it. But it was... Oh, my God. Yeah. That, I mean, 2.9. 2. When you think of some of the terrible movies we've seen that are rated at four and five and stuff like that, two point nine. <laughs> we have to watch it now. And any of our listeners, after listening to this podcast, if you end up going to watch it, we'd love your comments. Oh, we'd love to hear if, it, if it really is as cruel as ice. And also, is the two point nine justified? Does it mean higher or lower? That is hilarious. So Vanilla Rice had obviously become a joke at this time. He was ripped by a wide range of shows. And Jim Carrey had a famous impression that's well worth watching on YouTube. He's doing an impression. Fantastic. Insanely good. Vanilla Rice was being overexposed and he was beginning to fight back against the commercialised image that brought him so much success. He spent the next year touring outside of the States where his reputation hadn't suffered in the same way that it had at home. And as an 11-year-old, I don't remember a lot of this stuff around his reputation no. suffering. He was still Vanilla Ice. He would, had been number one in the charts and he was mm. still out there. And I don't mm. remember thinking, oh my God, he's never been stabbed. So therefore yeah. I can't possibly listen to it. We, wouldn't, we, yeah. weren't, mm. we weren't of that type to, to think like that. So mm. even if we had heard it, it probably wouldn't have had a massive impact oh, on us yeah. at the time. Mm. In 1993, Vanilla Ice had a break from music and used the time to compete in jet skiing and motocross racing. His profile faded during this time, and soon after, he began to experience serious drug problems with ecstasy, cocaine, and heroin. Do you think that him doing the jet skiing motocross, do you think that was because, you know, one of those things you listed on your CV, but don't actually do it, so I better do it? Just oh, no. Done it? No, no, he had performed in motocross when he was younger. He was just never oh. a national champion. Oh, okay. Yeah, but there, there was evidence that Robert Van Winkle had performed in some of these, these competitions before. Oh, okay. He just never made the champion that he was claiming oh, to be, or that his record label was claiming him to be. Mm. Um, but I think he always did have that interest in, in some of those kind of extreme sports. Mm. He did always have mm. that kind of interest. And I think we talk here about him starting to fight back against the commercialization of, of the music, but it was the commercialization of the music that made him successful. Yeah, now, obviously, we did the episode on, on Kylie Minogue a couple of weeks ago. Mm. She fought against that commercialization and went in a different route, but always managed to find a way back to that popularity. And that was something that Vanilla Rice was never able to do. The tattoos that he wears today are largely a product of the time he was under the, the influence of hard drugs. He reflects that he was so high all the time that he didn't realise how many tattoos he was getting. He attempted suicide in 1994 by a heroin overdose, but was rescued by friends. And the event served as a wake-up call, which he used to turn his life around. So he went back on tour in 95 before taking a break from music and pursuing his jet skiing and motocrossing hobbies with more seriousness. He managed to get himself to be ranked sixth in the world at sit-down jet skiing. So he does like these extreme sports, and fair play to him, he was obviously you know, in a pretty bad place in his life. And he's managed to turn, him, turn it around mm-hmm. and indulge in his hobbies, and hopefully by then he, he would have had the money to be able to, mm-hmm. to really focus on those. But he was so successful during that that he did actually get offered sponsorship, so it wasn't like a novelty act at the mm-hmm. time. He was sixth in the world. He did get offered, you know, pretty major sponsorship. So fair play to him. Reinventing himself just in a different way. Absolutely. And after obviously, what he'd been through personally. 
So with his life back on track, he dived into another new hobby. After studying real estate, he began buying houses, doing them up and selling them. There were other albums that were released, but nothing came remotely close to replicating his early success. He married his wife, Laura, in 97, and they have two daughters, Dusty Rain, who was born in 1998, and Kiwi Breeze, who was born in 2000. A year later, he was arrested for assaulting his wife and later pled guilty to charges of disorderly conduct. However, he pulled her hair trying to stop her jumping out of a moving truck. And that does feel to me to be some mitigation. Like if she's trying to jump out of a truck, he's driving and he reached the hand across and grabbed her hair to stop her jumping out. Mm. What what had happened for her to want to get out of the moving truck? I have no idea. And clearly it was a tumultuous relationship at the time, but he was sentenced to probation in order to attend family therapy sessions. And he and Laura divorced in 2016. However, a year before that, he was arrested and charged with residential burglary and grand theft after he stole furniture, a pool heater, bicycles and other items from a Florida home he believed to be vacant. He took a plea deal which would result in charges being dropped following the completion of 100 hours community service and payment of restitution to the estate of the homeowner. He essentially married and has a, had a child with his new wife in 2018. He's taken up all sorts of other challenges too, though, and this has kept him extremely busy. He's wrestled, he's done some celebrity boxing, and an endless array of reality TV, and I won't start listing them all out because there are far too many to mention, but he did do one called The Vanilla Ice Project, and that saw him renovate a house each episode, showing him doing a different room, and that show went on to last for nine years. It's a bit like our own changing rooms. Yes. But can I just take a step back a minute? You told us about him reinventing his life and his hobbies and everything, and then obviously the turbulent marriage. And he's breaking into a house and stealing furniture. You just popped that bit in there and then didn't say anything after it. Does that not need a bit of a discussion? It does Why feel like an odd thing to do if he was off drugs and that time. And, and what's really strange is he, he's actually done quite well financially, so he's got properties and things like that. Can you tell us again what he stole from that house? Among some of the items he stole, there were furniture, a pool heater, bicycles. A pool heater? He stole a pool heater? Maybe he's got other properties and he wants to let them out furnished. <laughs> and he thought the easiest way was to get those furnishings from one of the neighbours. I don't understand. It's like you say to me that you want to get a new coffee table. I say, no worries, I'm not popping next door when they're not around. Take their coffee table and bring it in To a house that you thought was fake. <laughs> That's crazy. Bizarre. So he got 100 hours community service for that and had to pay restitution to the owner of the pool heater. <laughs> you're, you're tickled by I'm that. Gone now. <laughs> so he popped up all over the place, and one of the things I wasn't aware of, he actually came to the UK to do panto. Oh my gosh, that would have been good. He played Captain Hook in Chatham and Kent in 2011. I wish you'd gone. <laughs> Ice Ice Baby is probably the song with the lyrics that are most known word for word for the, from the early 90s. Unless you're me. Unless you're you, which we could say any song from the 90s or any other era. <laughs> is it Vanilla Ice has been much maligned and yet we built himself with various careers. He invested heavily in property and made an absolute fortune. He does not need to work, but unlike in his early music career, he now has the flexibility to choose what he wants to do and he doesn't restrict himself from pursuing any goal that he wishes. Rather than recall Vanilla Ice as the biggest phony in rap history, I prefer to remember him as a naive kid who hit the jackpot, was milked to the extreme, excuse the pun, mm-hmm. and just hung on for as long as he could. 
for a high school dropout who was washing cars for a living, the 16-year-old kid who wrote the first rap record to ever top the mainstream charts in the UK and the US didn't do too bad. And that is the story of Vanilla Ice. Thank you very much, Jimmy. That was really insightful. I sort of did know the beginning bit and obviously the 90s bit, but certainly not the background. And then... (laughs) The pool heater. You can't get past the pool heater, can you? (laughs) Oh, I can't get past the poor Hinton. He's at the top of me. Well, not. He's got enough money. If you do these houses, I don't understand why you'd risk it for poor Hinton. What does a poor Hinton look like? Maybe. Well? Is it like, I'm thinking, is it like one of those heater units that you see on holiday on the balconies? Or is it inside the pool? I have no idea, <laughs> but it's just struck me that maybe... You know, earlier on in his career, he claimed to have this background. Maybe he thought if he robbed a house, suddenly he'd have that credibility and he could come back, re-release Ice Ice Baby, maybe Ice Ice Adult, <laughs> and then suddenly he'd have that credibility that he lacked in the first yeah. place. But it is interesting, I think, some of the stuff that he didn't go through. I mean, when we think back to Vanilla Ice, he had this outlandish jacket, shiny, mm. United States, embla- the flag mm. emblazoned on it. He had the beak, they used to call yeah. his hair. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. It, was a, yeah. it was all a very commercialised image. And at the time, I think I was 10 or 11 years old, I was, I was a target. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and the way you say he was a naive kid, He's been offered this opportunity. He's going to listen to everyone. He's going to listen if the people are saying, yeah, don't tell them about that bit, you know, or we'll save you from this, it will boost your thing. He, they, he would do it. Yeah, absolutely. Look, he left school. He was washing cars in Dallas. He found an opportunity to make millions, and he just had to follow what they say, so he did it. As I say, the lyrics of the song itself that he wrote at 16 was about drive-by shooting. We've heard pop rap over the years, you know, and if you think back to some of the lyrics that, that are in those pop rap songs, they're a lot like the lyrics that would be in pop songs. Mm. Ice Ice Baby wasn't like that. So mm. in terms of the, the lyrics that he was writing, he wasn't writing this commercialised, innocent mm. stuff. He was writing around the subject matters of fairly typical rap songs, but obviously by the time the, the song was packaged up and his image was packaged up as much as anything else. Mm. It was a, a completely different story. But his love for breakdancing, his love for rap music, that, that was true. That did exist. Selling out is an interesting thing. I always think when someone says, would you sell out in that situation? I always think, how much? <laughs> <laughs> What's your price? Yeah, I think everybody's got a price. And if you're washing cars in Dallas and you've got a chance to earn millions, yeah. why not? What's really impressive afterwards is how he's built those careers, mm. you know, from the extreme sports that he got involved in. He's done lots of reality television, which we seem to talk about in every episode. He's done lots of that. But he's also become a bit of a property magnet and he's built up a portfolio that will mean he doesn't have to work for the rest of his life. From that point of view, Pebble, he's had the drug issues and come through it. He had the suicide attempt, got through it. He does have a support network. He did have a support network around him at the time. Mm. So you think, yeah, fair play to him. All right, stop. So we've collaborated and thank you for listening. <laughs> I got to go and Google all the leaders now. Yeah, that's going to be your, your for the rest of the day. Yeah. You're going to be on that, yeah. aren't you? Yeah. That takes us to the end of our episode on Mr. Robert Van Winkle, <laughs> aka Vanilla Ice. Thank Ice. you. So thank you so much for joining us this week on Talk to the Hand podcast. 
please do get in touch with us if you've got any requests of people you'd like us to look into. You can get us at beth at talktotheham.co.uk or jimmy at talktotheham.co.uk and remember the two in talk to the hand is the number, not the word. But otherwise, until next week, talk, talk to, to the, the hand. hand.